The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. I also want to say this uh, before I get to to the meat of what I want to talk about this morning. Um, I was watching last night, we were traveling yesterday, and I I got home last night and I was watching the footage from Charlottesville. And I, this, this should go, it should go without saying, but unfortunately, apparently it doesn't. Uh, white supremacy is a sin. And anything associated with that, whether it is overt or subtle, is a sin. And we should be not only praying for a peace as in a stop in violence in Charlottesville or elsewhere, but we should be praying for reconciliation. We should be praying for whatever color skin that we have, that we would be humble as believers and yet bold to speak the truth. And I hope that we here in this room and we who are a part of this community uh, would not just watch the events from Charlottesville and the issues that are going on around uh, white supremacy and racism from afar, but that we would engage in it. We would engage in it as a light. We would engage in it as truth tellers. We would engage in it in a humble way and we would engage in it, particularly if you have, maybe if you're not, there's not many people quite as white as I am, but if you are somewhere in the hue side that I am in, that you would particularly be humble, that we would particularly be humble to try to hear and listen to what it would be like to have a darker hue skin in America today. And I pray that we would be a force for good, that we would be praying for peace, but also more than a lack of hostility, we'd be praying for reconciliation. Let's pray again, actually. Father, I pray again for the events in Charlottesville. I pray for the people who are injured. Pray for the people that are involved. Father, we pray for a cease of hostilities a cease of violence. God, more than that, we pray for reconciliation. And we pray for an end of white supremacy. God, I pray that you would come after any remnants of that sin that may exist in each of our hearts. And God, would you let the church be a guiding voice at this time? Not just this church, but the church. And would you, God, would you help us as individual believers not to relegate that fight to some leader somewhere who's talking about it? But would you help us when we hear it and sense it in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, to, be, to have the courage to speak up, but have the humility to do so still out of love and seeking that even the heart that harbors racism and a sense of white supremacy, that we would seek that they would find forgiveness through the cross and the reconciliation and humility 
and new sense of identity that can only come there. God, we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus, who came not as a white man, but as a Middle Eastern man. Amen. So on a lighter side, uh, one of the... One of the things that I like to do uh, at a, when you're having dinner, when I'm having dinner with, dinner with friends or getting to know people is uh, at a party or sitting around a table, I like to ask questions. If you've ever had dinner with me, you probably have experienced that. I like to ask questions and get to know people. My, my, one of my favorite questions is, if you had to choose a superpower and you had to choose between invisibility and flight, which superpower would you choose? Now, I'm not gonna ask you guys here, but I've asked some of you personally, and I, I, the reason I like to ask is because it gets you thinking, but also, it, it, your answer tells, you, tells me a lot about you. Uh, whether you would pick invisibility or flight, I think says a lot about it. I, I'm afraid of heights, but I would choose flight. I think it's very easy, even though I'm afraid of heights. I would probably I'd be a very conflicted superhero, but that, that's what I would choose. Uh, Dale would choose invisibility, and I think that says something about Dale, and I don't, I'll just leave that there, and you guys can, can talk with him about it after the service. But, but the question about which, super power, which superhero power would you choose says a lot about you. I also think it says a lot about you about which superhero that you most identify with. And we'll just stick with the two big ones, Superman and Batman. Uh, some of you geeks, you've thought about this, and some of you are like, I've never had this thought before, but most of us identify more with either Superman or Batman. Anybody Batman fans in here, you're like, he's my dude, I identify with him. Yeah, I thought it would be you. Uh, any, anybody identify with Superman? You're like, that's my dude. Yeah, fewer of you. He's, he's not very popular uh, in America today. But I think, it says, uh, I think it says a lot about you because Superman and Batman are opposite, even though they're both superheroes. Uh, Superman stands for virtue and justice and the American way. He's kind of like out there, like ready to take a bullet for everybody. Uh, some, his, his enemies say that he kind of has a God complex. So like, like he, but you can understand why he's Superman. I always like Superman. That probably says something about me egotistical, I don't know, like, I just thought, like, uh, that sounds, like, awesome, and to me, to be Superman, an alien who has, like, super, like, superhuman strength, and can fly, and faster than speeding bullet, and has, like, x-ray vision, that seemed more plausible than a guy who's a billionaire, who is, like, has no particular superpowers, but is amazing at everything that he does, and could do all the things that Batman, that just didn't seem very, but, but he's kind of, Batman's kind of ruled by vengeance and anger. He's marred by this terrible uh, tragedy in his childhood, and he's, he's ruled by, by vengeance and anger. And it, he is, he's ruled by vengeance and anger. They're two on different sides. I think it says a lot about you, which, which hero you pull for, and I know all you geeks are gonna get me afterwards and explain how I'm wrong, and we'll have a whole other discussion after, after the discussion about the ministry center about superheroes and why you, why you would pick one over the other. But that got me thinking about who are our heroes today? Who do we lift up as heroes personally and to our kids? I think we talk about heroes less, even though we watch them more on movies and television than we ever have. 
if a, if a film is a super blockbuster film, it's more likely than not going to be about a superhero. We watch them on Netflix and on the theaters. We play them on video games. It's, the, it's a huge, huge deal. And yet I think we talk about heroes personally and with our kids less than we ever have before. Who's your hero? Beyond Batman or Superman, who's your hero? Who do you look up to? Who do you pattern your life after? Who do you say, this is someone who is heroic in their lifestyle? What does it mean to be heroic? Uh, we've never been more fixated on superheroes than we are today, but yet I think we're more willing than ever to sort of relegate an idea of hero to a screen that we watch and not a lifestyle that I live or that I personally aspire to. Because frankly, I can't be Tony Stark. That's the guy's name, right? This, this, I can't be Tony Stark. I'm not that smart or that rich or that good looking. And the science that he does doesn't exist either. So it's, it's, I totally can't be Tony Stark. I can't be Thor. I can't be Superman. I can't be Batman. But do we actually aspire to any sort of heroism with our life? Our passage that we're in today, it's a long passage. We can't work all the way through it piece by piece, but it starts in chapter six of Acts, verse eight, and runs all the way to the end of Acts chapter seven and even the beginning of Acts chapter eight. And it's about a man named Stephen, and Stephen redefines our idea of what a hero is or who a hero is. But here's the interesting thing, is that Stephen was no great man. Stephen was not Tony Stark or Thor. He was not Bruce Wayne. He was not Superman. He wasn't even one of the apostles. We don't have any record that he even walked personally with Jesus when Jesus was alive. He was not any sort of a big deal in any particular way, and yet God used him to be the greatest hero that we see in the young church after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It's Stephen, just a normal, ordinary, Hellenistic Jew that many people would have looked down on because of his background. It's Stephen, not Peter, not John, not any of the apostles who becomes the greatest hero after Jesus' resurrection. And I think that we could use more heroism in the church and more heroism in our country than we've ever needed before. I think we could use it greater now than ever. And this is an example, even though it seems like we see him, you know, let out and stoned, he dies. He's the first martyr in Christian history. And that can seem like lofty and beyond us, yet we see that he was actually just a normal, ordinary guy. So we're gonna look at how was Stephen a hero and then how can we pattern our life after him ourselves? We're gonna see, first of all, that a hero is prepared. Secondly, a hero is faithful. And thirdly, a hero is fixed on a greater vision. A hero is prepared. A hero is faithful. And a hero is fixed on a greater vision. When 
Stephen, when we first see Stephen, it's the beginning of Acts chapter six, and it's the passage that Justin dealt with last week, and the Hellenistic Jews, they were passing out, they were giving out food daily to the widows, and the, the people who needed help every day, the, the daily portion of food. And the Hellenistic Jews came and they complained to the apostles that they were being overlooked. And the apostles didn't say that's not right. They said, man, here's what we need to do. You guys pick from among yourselves seven men who are of, uh, look, and look at verse three, therefore brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they, pleased, what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and all these other guys, so I'm not gonna try to pronounce their name right now. And they set them before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The first thing we see about Stephen is he wasn't expecting a promotion. He wasn't expecting a job. He was just loving God and serving God. And there was a problem and the apostles said, you guys need to pick out seven guys who are full of the Holy Spirit and are of good, good repute and are men of wisdom and we will appoint them to this duty. And the people said, hey, Stephen is a guy like that. Stephen is a guy who's been faithful, he's been preparing, he's been serving you, he's been serving God daily and regularly. And they said, he's a guy who is worthy of being chosen. And so they pick him and they make him a deacon. Then while he's serving as a deacon, verse eight, and Stephen, full of grace and power, he was chosen, now remember, just to serve tables, not just to serve tables, it was a great honor, but he was chosen to serve tables. But Stephen, full of grace and power, remember, it's just a normal, ordinary guy, serving God. They said, here's a guy who can serve tables, who can be faithful with it, he's full of the Holy Spirit. He starts doing that, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders wonders and signs among the people, which is something that we normally see the apostles doing, doing great wonders and signs. So he is preaching with grace and power. He's proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, and God was uh, giving signs that what he was saying was true by perform him performing great miracles and signs and wonders as he was preaching. The thing that stands out to me as we see this, uh, that He's preaching and, and people get bothered. They get in an uproar. They call him. They seize him. They bring him before the council because he's preaching. People are coming to Jesus and they're bothered by that. And they bring him. They set up false witnesses who says that he's preaching against this holy place and the law of the temple. They said that we heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered us. And gazing at him who sat at the council, they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And they said, Stephen, are these things so? And Stephen begins, the whole chapter seven is Stephen, who, by the way, when he woke up this morning, didn't know he was gonna appear before the council, didn't know he was gonna be threatened, didn't know he was gonna stand before them and give, give, have to give an account for what's been going on. But he, when they stand him before him, he gives the whole chapter seven. You know what chapter seven is? This is why it's hard to preach on this chapter. It's the whole Bible, he stands before the council and they said, is what they're saying true? And he says, my brother, 
He's a born preacher like me. He said, listen, listen to the, what, he didn't just answer the question. He said, let me give you a sermon. And he gives a sermon that gives the story of God and God's people beginning back at Abraham through Moses, through David and Solomon, all the way to the present day, all the way through the whole Bible. And they hear that and he says, you are like your fathers, the prophets who were always rejecting God's word. And you were, not only did have you rejected God's word like the, your fathers, the prophets, but you rejected the word himself, Jesus, who, who's the one that Moses and David and Solomon and Abraham were all pointing to. And you killed him yourself. And when they heard that, they were angry Obviously, verse 54 is chapter seven. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they, they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, the thing that stands out to me, at the beginning of chapter six, whenever he's chosen to be one of the people who are waiting tables, he's a man of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, then whenever he's, God moves in as he preaches and moves in signs and wonders and people are coming to Christ and then he stands before the council, at each step along the way, even though he was just a normal, ordinary man, he was prepared. He had prepared himself. A hero is first of all prepared. Stephen had studied. He had learned. He knew the Bible he didn't wait till he was at a moment where he had to, where he knew he was going to have to preach, or he knew he was going to lead a Bible study, or he knew somebody was going to ask him about something. He studied and prepared and learned beforehand. He dedicated himself to the task of preparing himself, preparing his heart, learning and growing. He knew the Bible. He knew that it was about Jesus. He was able to point, as they, as they called him out and said, is this true? When he's standing before the council, he's able to point out how the whole, all the scripture is about Jesus. He had studied and he had learned, he knew the Bible to the extent that his mind and his heart had been enlarged. He didn't just have an enlarged mind. He didn't just know a lot about the Bible. He had studied to the extent that, he, with the intention that his mind would be enlarged, but also that his heart would be enlarged. But as he would study scripture, God would show him himself to him out of his word, that he would show him Jesus out of, out of his word, and he would use it, that God would use the word as he studied, as he read it, as he hid it in his heart, as he prepared himself, that God would use the word as the sharp, two-edged sword that would divide even bone and marrow. It would come in and cut his heart. Have you ever experienced that? where you are dedicated yourself to study the scripture and learn and grow, not just to learn and grow in your head, but to that God would speak to you as you study and he would show you not only about himself, but he would show you things about yourself that you didn't know beforehand. That's the power of the word of God. It shows us, first of all, who God is, and then secondly, it shows us who we are. 
it pierces our heart and our soul. We should all be preparing and learning and serving the way Stephen was at each level, at each moment that we see him. Preparing means learning. It means growing in my mind. It means being dedicated to growing in my mind. It means being dedicated to growing in my heart. And it means being faithful with what God has given me in my hands. He had studied, he had prepared, he had learned, he knew the Bible, so that whenever at each moment that God, that each moment that he found himself in, just a normal guy, whether it's whether choosing who's gonna serve the tables, or he's standing before the Sanhedrin, or they're about to stone him, that God had used the word to change, to build him in his mind and to change him in his heart. So he was a prepared, effective servant at each moment in time. We should all be preparing and learning and serving. We don't know what situations we're gonna find ourselves in. We don't know what the future will hold. We don't know what tomorrow will hold with your at work or with your kids. You don't know what somebody's gonna say or what opportunity. Have you ever found yourself in that situation? Like maybe you spent some time praying, God, help me to reach my neighbors, help me to speak your word to my coworkers. But then like you found yourself at a moment where like your friend or your neighbor or your coworker said something and you knew like they're asking me. They're, 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 they're telling me about how they're searching. They're telling me how their marriage is falling apart. I know there's an opportunity here to show them who Jesus is and yet I don't know what to say to them. Stephen had prepared himself so that whenever he found himself in those moments, he had something to say. He was ready. He was prepared in his heart as well. We don't know what tomorrow will hold, but we can prepare today so we can be ready tomorrow for what God has for us, the situations that he'll put us in, ways that he can use us in the everyday life. Stephen prepared, he had studied, but he was also full of the Spirit. The remarkable thing about Stephen is how full of the Spirit he is at every turn. We see him in the beginning of Acts chapter three when they say, choose from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Stephen had... he didn't, he didn't, he wasn't full of the Holy Spirit because he had to do a job. He was full of the Holy Spirit because he was falling after God with his whole heart. And that made him qualified for the next position that they had for him. And then him being faithful in the next position that God had him in as serving the tables made him qualified to preach the word with power and authority with signs and wonders following. And then that prepared him to be ready to face the council, and that prepared him to be ready to face the stones, which made him prepared to be ready to face his Lord. When he stood before the council, so they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit in which he was speaking. Then the end of Acts chapter seven, but he, whenever they were stoning him, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. 
We can be filled with the Spirit. We're, you're, what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit is it means simply to be yielded to and led by his Spirit. That means, first of all, that we're obedient to God's written word. Stephen had been a student of the word. We know that because he's able to take the counsel all the way through God's, the, the Bible, the story of God and his people right off the top of his head as he's standing before them. And you can only be obedient to God whenever you're obedient to him and his written word. And that means you have to listen to it and hear it and study it and place yourself under it and not above it. I don't get to interpret what God's word says. It gets to interpret me. I don't get to determine what he meant by it. He tells me what he means and I have to bow my knee to him as Lord over me. But it also means being obedient to his written word, but it also means being obedient to his inner prompting. I'm sure if you're a Christian and you've been a Christian for very long, at some point you felt an inner prompting in your heart, something that you needed to do, something you needed to say to someone, something that you needed to stop doing. That's not clear in scripture, but maybe God just said, hey, I think you need to talk to so-and-so. I think you need to pray for so-and-so. I think you need to start a conversation with this person. I think you need to ask them if they are a believer. I think you need to share the gospel with them. I think you need to ask this person who's sick if you can pray for them. All of us have been a Christian very long. We've heard those inner promptings, but we've chosen at times to not follow his promptings. And if, as we continue to do that, that's what's called grieving the Holy Spirit. And we become more and more, our hearts become more and more hard, harder and harder to what he's saying so that we hear it less and less. The way that we're filled with the Holy Spirit is by being obedient to his written word and then also obedient to his inner promptings. Whenever he says to do something, we should do it. He's the Lord. But also, we cheat ourselves out of so many experiences to see God move in power because we're so fixated on our own agenda, our own thing. To be filled with the Holy Spirit means to be in continual communion with him in prayer. It means to, to turn my daily actions over to him as an act of worship. Do you know what I mean by that? That means that everything that you and I do with our lives should be an act of worship, a prayerful act of worship to God. That includes, for me, taking out the trash, which is very hard for me to be something, an act of worship. It means washing the dishes. It means spending time with my wife and how I spend time with her. It means spending time with my kids and how I spend time with them. It means the way that I communicate with my clients at work. It means the way that I do the menial task at work. It means the way that I have conversations or don't have conversations with my neighbors or friends. It, it means turning the everyday little things that I do with my life into an act of worship to him. 
That's what Stephen was doing whenever, they, whenever the apostles said, choose from among yourselves seven men of good repute who are full of the Holy Spirit. The people said, we recognize that Stephen is a man who within his everyday normal life, he's turning the menial tasks that he does into acts of worship to you, to God, and God is in response filling him with his Holy Spirit. And we see, we see the results of that in his life. It means seeing my daily actions and decisions as opportunities for Jesus to be glorified. Stephen ended up seeing big ways as he stood before the council and as he was being stoned to death as a martyr. He saw big ways for God to be glorified in his life, but it was only after he saw little ways every day for God to be glorified in his everyday life and decisions and actions. Stephen was prepared. That's how a a hero is prepared, but a hero is also faithful. To be faithful means to be dedicated. It means to be steadfast or constant. It's not a word that we use very often anymore. It means to be dedicated, steadfast, and constant. Stephen was chosen because he had a good reputation among the believers. He had been faithful and constant before anybody had recognized him. He was faithful. He was dedicated to God and God's mission, and he was steadfast. He continued day in and day out, moment in and moment out, and God used that to prepare him to be a hero. But a hero is not just a hero in the big moments. A hero is a hero in the daily small decisions that you make that God can use. Stephen was faithful before he was recognized. He was faithful serving the tables. He was faithful declaring the gospel with signs and wonders, even though he was, there were people that he was not popular with. He was faithful in defending the faith, and he was faithful as he died. God used Stephen greatly as Stephen served God faithfully. God used Stephen greatly as Stephen served God faithfully. It's as we dedicate ourselves to God and we dedicate ourselves to the work at hand that God, that we're providing the proper posture, the proper ground for God to use our lives to be heroes for his glory. Stephen dedicated himself to God and he dedicated himself to each work at hand, whatever was at his hand. Before anybody recognized him, whenever he was simply serving tables, whenever he was preaching, all the way through, Stephen was simply, he wasn't dedicated to the great big thing, he was dedicated to the thing that God put in his hand at the moment. He was steadfast, he was dedicated, and he was constant. I think that we often don't see God move in a greater way because we have very short attention spans. I used to, like, it used to be no big deal for me to sit down and read a book. Now I read, I was, I've always been a big reader. Now I sit down and read a couple of pages and I'm like, like, when's the next video? Like, you, like, you know, you're flipping through on, on Twitter or Facebook and there's like video after video after video. You start a video and you're like, seven minutes? You better get my attention right now. And I'm like, I'm 30 seconds in, I'm like, next video, next video, next video. Like, that, that's my attention span. 
We are constantly being shortened in our attention span and constantly shortened in our, in our ability to dedicate ourselves to the task at hand. But when we become distracted and we follow after the latest fad, and the latest fashion, the latest trend, we miss an opportunity to be faithful and we miss an opportunity for God to be able to use us day in and day out. There is no greater purpose for your life. There is no greater purpose for your life than to simply be faithful where the Lord has placed you with whatever he has placed in your hand. There's no greater purpose in your life, no greater heroism that you can achieve in your life than to be faithful wherever God has placed you with whatever God has placed in your hand. There are many of us in this room, we think, well, God hasn't put much in my hand and you haven't seen where he's placed me. Uh, my work is terrible. My apartment is small and it smells and I can't find the source of the smell. I don't like where I live or where I work. I don't like my friends. I don't like the city. I don't like my spouse. I'm not sure I like my kids. I don't like my car. I don't like anything that he has placed in my hand or anywhere he has put me. I had a greater purpose that I envisioned in my life. When you're young, you like, you think like, man, my life is gonna be amazing. And then you cross the line at some point where you think, what's happening? And then you get like, you get to the point where you either decide, am I gonna give up in life or am I gonna be angry or am I gonna view myself as a divinely, as a child of God who God divinely loves and he has placed me exactly where I am and he has put in my hands exactly what he has put in my hands and if I am faithful there, he will fill me with his Holy Spirit and I can be, I can follow in the footsteps of Jesus and Stephen and be a hero at that place at that moment. And he may raise you up so you become, do greater things like he did with Stephen, or you may be the most ignored Christian in the history of the world. But you can be faithful, and you can be dedicated, and you can be prepared wherever God has placed you, whatever he has put in your hands, and you can see God move in amazing ways. Your world may feel very small, but he can use you in amazing ways in that world. And imagine what it would look like if even a room this size scattered throughout the week and dedicated ourselves to be faithful and prepared wherever he has put us with whatever he has put in our hands. And we could see, and God started moving in those places in amazing ways. Your world may be small and my world may be small. Your circle of influence may be small, but put all those circles together and it can do amazing things. Stephen never would have been effective before the council. He never would have been effective as he was preaching and signs and wonders were being done if he hadn't been effective serving the tables, if he hadn't been effective before anybody was even recognizing him in his daily life. There is a great power in a long obedience in the same direction. That's really what the Christian life is and should be, a long obedience in the same direction. 
I don't know what God has for my life tomorrow or next year. I don't know what God has for our church tomorrow or next year. I hope we continue to grow. I hope we continue to see people come to the Lord. I have no idea if we're gonna be hundreds and thousands of people or just a few dozen. I have no idea what it will be in the future. But I know I'm gonna be faithful with where he has put me, with what he has put in my hand, and leave the rest to him and simply have a long obedience in the same direction. Set a good course and hold that course until God changes it. Don't be pulled and distracted by the latest trends. That's a sign of Christian immaturity. That's when, 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 God, when, when Paul is writing the church at Ephesus and he says, don't be, I hope that you, well, I'll just read it. I won't paraphrase it for you guys because I want you to hear it. Ephesians 4, 13 and 14, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or mature Christianity to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. It's Christian immaturity to be constantly distracted and carried about by different trends and ways, whether they're Christian trends or worldly trends or whatever the hot Netflix series is out this week or the hot movie or whatever it is that you're paying attention to this week, whatever you and I are into this week. Instead of being tossed to and fro by those, let's set our head, our face forward in one direction and hold that course until God changes it. And you know what that course is? Wherever he has put you and whatever he has put in your hands. A hero isn't always the flashy one. In fact, it rarely is. A hero is the man or woman who is constantly faithful to God where they are and with what they have. That's a hero. It's that posture that positions us for God to do something extraordinary with our life. We often come fixated on the big thing in the future instead of the current thing now. And we, we become what uh, one uh, A.W. Tozer called uh, present atheists where I look back in my life and see where God has done stuff in my past and I look forward to the future and what I hope he will do, but I'm so distracted by the past, what I think he did before and isn't doing now, or I'm so distracted by the future, what I hope he does one day, that I miss him in the current moment. We're practical atheists. A hero is prepared, a hero is faithful and a hero is fixed on a greater vision. We have a great need for this kind of hero, this kind of hero that Stephen was, not just to the point of death, though he was a hero till then. And we should lift up those kind of heroes greater than we do now. But the kind of hero that he was all the way through his life that we see. But we experience it so seldom because we're so selfish in the wrong way. We're selfish 
in the wrong way. We should be selfish, but we're selfish in the wrong way. We're selfish in the wrong way in that our great temptation is to seek reward now. It's to seek the comfort and pleasure and security now. But Stephen had prepared, he was faithful, and that caused his mind to be set on a greater reward. He was incredibly fixated on a reward that was greater and was longer lasting. His vision of a greater reward didn't just happen whenever he was standing before the men who were about to kill him and then as they were throwing the stones at him and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He wasn't just fixated on Jesus at that moment. He had been fixated on Jesus his entire Christian life. That's what gave him the power and the impetus and the ability to prepare and to be dedicated and fixated and faithful exactly where God put him with what God put in his hands, even if it led to a painful, bloody, ignominious death. Because he had his mind fixated on a greater reward. He was empowered to do that because Jesus saw because Stephen saw Jesus in his authority. Not just at this moment as he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God, which is a sign of his authority, but he saw Jesus in his authority and that he had prepared himself and had walked with him for a time now. So that at this moment when the chips were down and he was about to die, he saw Jesus personally standing to welcome him. What stands out to this vision that Stephen has is every other picture that we have of Jesus in heaven, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. It's a sign of authority for the prince to be seated. A king or a prince didn't stand, they seated, they were seated in the presence of everyone else who was standing. But as Stephen is dying, he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And we think that means that Jesus was personally standing with his arms stretched out to welcome Stephen. That was the great reward he was fixated on. A reward that wouldn't go up and down with the results of the stock market or up and down by the end results of his career or the status of his relationships or the number of likes he had. He was fixated on the one who had died for him and had done like he had stood before a council wrongly condemned. And though Jesus stood, and as he was crying out as he was dying, he was receiving the wrath of God upon him that was due and owing to us for our sins. Stephen cried out to God at death, and he saw him welcoming him, standing with open arms. That's the greater reward. Jesus had been his reward all along. It was his great motivation. It's what empowered him, and it's what will empower us 
if we fix our eyes on the great reward. God isn't looking for superheroes. God is no more pleased by the Christian who has a big following on Twitter or has a huge podcast or has a huge ministry or a huge church or has gone overseas than he is with you when you are faithfully serving him wherever he has put you with whatever he has put in your hands. God isn't looking for superheroes. He's looking for ordinary people who will yield their ordinary selves and their ordinary lives to him. And here's the encouraging great news with that, is that there is no limit. The story of Stephen shows us there is no limit to what God can do with a simple, faithful witness. Let's make that our goal, nothing more, but certainly nothing less. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.